So, welcome back for another David Siddons Group podcast. My name is uh, David Siddons, and this is the Better Decisions podcast, real estate podcast detailing everything to do with South Florida real estate. Today, we have two exceptional professionals that we've actually been chatting recently over your business, and I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself, Tom and John from Blueprint Advisors. Um, For the intro for the audience to get going, please introduce yourselves and say, tell us a little bit about the business. Um, You want me to start? Yeah, yeah, sure. So Blueprint Advisors is a homeowner's representative firm, and we are hired directly by clients to represent their interests throughout construction projects. Um, It can be different levels of construction. It can be small projects, large projects. What we found historically is, is that most people have had bad experiences in construction. Yeah. And what we try to do is we try to educate and work with the client to limit that and try to give them a positive experience, right? And we do that in different ways, whether it's through setting up the project team for them, helping to facilitate the project, closing out the project. We found that with the help of an expert that a project doesn't have to be a bad experience. It can actually be an enjoyable experience to create a home that they're gonna love and use for their lives. So that's our firm and kind of what yeah. we do. And I, I mean, I think the biggest uh, takeaway too is that in life, and especially in these big investments that people are making, people have business advisors, they have legal advisors. The fact that- Real estate experts. Yeah, the fact that when entering a construction relationship uh, of, of such value that they don't have construction advisors was always very, interesting to us and so we did see a pocket in the in the industry where this was uh, you know an element that we could kind of bring as a value add to the client um when entering um such a daunting process um we think we show value in in an investment like that right other than the acquisition itself of the property it's a huge financial investment and to go into that blindly without any kind of expert guidance on how you position yourself which is the norm. Like, I'm not sure, do your clients ever seek guidance on once they start the project? You've acquired the property for them. Do they come to you and say, can you help me guide? Yeah. Can you give me advice on how I should navigate this process? So I'm an economist, so people come to me all the time because I'm numbers driven. And so they ask me, like, give me some advice. Is this, should I be spending this amount of money in this project, in this area? And of course, I'm going to guide them. Very more often than not, I actually get people who come to me sometimes, unfortunately, too late. They come up to me and they call me and they say, I just watched your podcast um, and I think I screwed up and I need your help, which, you know, is not really the ideal situation. But yes, I think it's reality. Um, What I found interesting, because so this conversation, our conversation started with an introductory phone call from a mutual client. And we started and when I discovered what you guys do, it started to open up the conversational channels because right now, as we sit in September 2023, now more than ever, we're dealing with a new construction phenomenon in South Florida, in Miami, based around new home construction. And it's never been more profitable, more in demand, less in supply than ever before. Quality supply. Yeah, just to be clear, we're not talking about low-level real estate. We're talking about luxury homes built in prime markets through Miami. So if you're watching this and you are you know, looking to build a home in Coconut Grove or Coral Gables or Miami Beach, Venetian Islands, any of the prime neighborhoods, this is where you guys run your business. This is what you do. Um, 
the I'm curious when we started talking, I said like, how did you guys end up here? Because your business is fundamentally was based in Boston, yeah, but mean, you started projects down here. A really good, and we've we've talked about it quite a bit internally. Is um, we are traditionally we go where our clients need bring us. us and need us, and so um, it was a quintessential case of being approached uh, about a major project down here and we we ended up down here um tom can speak to a little bit of his familiarity with this area as he lived here um but it was a really uh, an amazing opportunity to be down here and then the rest is sort of you know kind of flew from there so so we're both from massachusetts the boston area and we both have a history in the construction trade and so what happens is is when you operate with clients and we see it now more and more that the Massachusetts, there's a migration from Massachusetts oh, to yeah. South Florida. And we can Absolutely. talk about that. All the time. But even yeah. historically, I, it seems to me that I keep being brought to South Florida for the client's needs. I was brought here in 2018 for an existing client who wanted to do a large renovation on Fisher Island. So I actually, I was a general contractor in Massachusetts doing high-end residential construction. And he wanted to, he bought, I think, four out of five units in a building one to convert it into a single-family residents. So he said, can you guys come to Florida and do this job for us as the builders? Of course. So I moved down, got my general contractor's license for Miami Dade, and I moved to- And Coral Fisher Island is not an easy place it's, to build in. It's logistically it's the most challenging place I've for ever sure. worked. Oh yeah, because they, they, I noticed that they only open the island for so many yes. months of the year. We access it by And only within times. So yeah, you have to wait for the ferry to get on in the morning yeah. in line with a hundred other people waiting in line. So the people don't show up to the job site till 10 o'clock in the morning. And the last ferry leaves the island at 4.30. Yeah. So you have a limited window to get done as much as you can Monday through Friday. And you have to be able to give the client a realistic schedule just so they can plan logistically when their project's gonna be done. One of the most challenging places I've ever worked logistically. But anyway, I was here. I actually did a few jobs on Fisher Island as a general contractor. Um, I ended up back in Massachusetts because that's where the clients needed us to come and work. Um, so now recently, I've transitioned into homeowners represent, representation, and I've been brought back to South Florida because, again, like you say, the demand for high-end residential construction management is just... Yeah, and you just had a project. What was your most recent project? So I just finished a project for a client on Miami Beach, and this client bought this piece of property, and his intention was to build a new home. He also wanted to be able to live in the home for the 16 months that it was gonna to take to do the design and permitting for the project. So I came down and I interviewed the architects and kind of set the table and positioned him well with the architects, but we also did a large scale cosmetic update of the home so he could live there for the 16 months that it's gonna to take to do that part of the project. So we've recently finished that part of the project, the cosmetic upgrade. So now we're in the um, process of kind of getting ready for the next phase. And, and your client base, while you're doing that down here, you've also got clients that you've been helping and dealing Everywhere. with. Everywhere. We have a current we'll, client we'll in New, where the, New you know, Rhode Island. Yep. We have one in um, just outside Boston on the North Shore of Boston. So I actually have a call with a client in Park City, Utah next week. to. That's blowing up. Yeah, Park City, Utah is really blowing up. Now. To go out to a house there. out there and a house that has all kinds of problems and they need to hire a new contractor to help kind of mitigate a whole host of issues that have come up. So we go where the work takes the us. The beauty of the model that we've kind of laid out is that um, different than a GC, we're able to come in 
um, to a market and be able to um, work with a current situation. Even if a builder, an architect, an interior designer is in place, our model is um, something that we can bring uh, to all different markets. Um, one of the things that is nice about the relationship Tom has um, to this market is he has history here. So to be I, able I to- I have a network of subcontractors. Right. I have, I know people that can help me qualify pricing, help me to kind of make introductions as needed to different people. So it's, it's a, kind of an interesting place for me to operate. And you know, so you know South Florida, obviously you're working all over. As people who are watching this and thinking about you know, buying and building in Miami, how different has Miami been for you guys? Because you're experiencing it in many other cities. How different is Miami? And why is it different to some of the other places perhaps that you've been dealing with? That's an interesting question. I think that overall, just the level of kind of growth and wealth that is in Miami currently is on a different scale than other places, right? From a construction um, basis. But as far as the work itself, I'm not sure if you were asking about overall or the work itself. The whole scope. I mean, the whole I'm scope. curious like, to know how, when are people aware of what they're getting into when they're coming down here? Well, I think that cities? it's also interesting because I think that a lot of people that come here are unfamiliar with the market, right? And I think that there's certain cultural um, nuance to the Miami market, both in the construction and probably the real estate and investment world, right? So to not, again, I go back to my idea of not having kind of expert guidance to navigate that is is not, I don't know, foolish is maybe too strong of a word, but like the prudent thing for anyone to do who's coming into a new market is to have an expert in the field that knows that kind of cultural nuance in that market. Yeah, it's, it's, real estate's an interesting animal because when you look at other asset classes and you look at other mechanisms where people are making money and, and if, if someone's coming down here to you know, buy a home and we were talking about this earlier on, I think you know, the most profitable way to make money down here right now with homes is to come in with the I guess with the the mental process of I'm buying this for me I'm doing this as an end user but if you do that it's very likely that you're then going to get an incredible offer from a buyer who says I recognize your house as a custom home I want that and I'm willing to pay you you know, X above market for it. And then they're obviously getting seduced to sell it and say, mm, you know, this is actually hard to turn down. Um, different to the spec builders who are just coming in and burn it and churn it and just keep on doing, you know, white boxes. Um, these more custom level products that you're doing. And we were talking about a product with, you're saying earlier on about bringing in these cobblestones from, from Belgium. From Belgium. So we had a client in Boston who, it was an end user client and they, like you say, wanted to have the highest quality and yeah. it was a special project, right? So they had engaged with specialists from all over the world. And there was a architect, a hardscape designer from Belgium and he would travel through Europe and reclaim these materials to implement in his residential design. And one of those elements was these old cobblestones from European streets that are worn smooth from hundreds of years of being walked on and ridden on and everything else. Yeah. And there, the, the quality of labor that's needed to kind of recreate that, we actually flew in two gentlemen from Belgium who were these two old timers who were incredible with what they did. And they brought their tools and they had their method that they've been doing their entire life that they had worn from their fathers to actually install these stones in the same style and process that has been used historically throughout Europe. Like it was an incredible thing to witness and to be able to help facilitate that, to give the client that 
um, end result was ultimately what we strive to do. And of course, like you say, the house sold. And it sold for top dollar. Like, like it created a special project well. and inevitably the house sold, so. I think inevitably it is hard to take a Northeast mentality. And although we have a model and, a, and the skill set to advise, it is somewhat a challenge to come into a different market, have that sense of urgency that we bring from sort of that, you know, hurry up Northeast mentality of just let's get it done, let's do it right, let's the yeah. quality in place, coming into a market. So I think there is a challenge um, to be able to enter a market like Miami and identify where quality uh, meets timeline and be able to facilitate that sort of um, throughout the process. Throughout the process. That's, that's what we do. That's how we. And if it's it. bringing a subcontractor from Belgium, or if it's bringing uh, the okay. painter or the plumber from Boston uh, to to achieve the skill, maybe that's the answer. We, but we are, you know, sort of understanding a market, really learning about a market, respecting the market, and uh, not coming in and and sort of trying to reinvent you know, how things are done, but really, you know, giving our, our client the value of a, a quality project done in a timely manner for a good price. I have another example. It was actually one of the projects on Fisher Island. There was a specialty plaster that's a, an old world plaster technique that they use in Belgium. And the client, this same architect made a design, showed the client the renderings, made some samples, and he loved it. And we ended up flying the plasterer and his assistant to do all the plaster work for the home on Fisher Island. And it was, again, to watch these guys speaking Flemish, smoking their cigarettes on the job site, like, like only Europeans can and get away with it. And like the level of beauty that they created, it just made it a special project, right? And again, the project sold. Like, Yeah, it's, it's interesting to see since post-pandemic, and obviously when the pandemic happened, you saw a lot more people investing in their homes, viewing their, their properties as, okay, this is something that I want to have um, to function for so many facets of my life. You know, I want to have, you know, a beautiful piece of real estate where I'm going to have the office and the home gym and this and that. And I, I see a lot of people investing more and more and more in their properties than obviously ever before, which has now you know, created this, this changing behavior. But also psychologically, this willingness to invest. We were talking earlier about the problems that, that people are unaware of when they're getting into this. And, and I said to you guys, oh, give me you know, the three big mistakes that people are getting themselves into, blissfully unaware, starting off with good intentions, but obviously getting caught out, and how you've obviously, with your business, learned how to you know, help them avoid those mistakes. So I think the biggest thing, the, the number one mistake that people make is that they go into a project with an undefined scope of work. They have a general idea and a general scope, but the scope needs to be detailed to a certain degree that when a price gets associated with that scope of work, that there's enough detail in the scope that the price accurately reflects it. Yeah. And typically what you see is, is clients will enter into agreements with general contractors and the scope of work is only 80% defined. So that last 20, so they have a number from the general contractor to build and it's, let's say, $5 million, but only 80, thinking that the, this is what it's going to cost to build the house, $5 million. But truthfully, only 80% of that scope is actually defined. So when it comes time to actually build the 20% that is undefined, whether it's finished selection or different thing that goes unforeseen because the general contractor didn't look at the drawings in high enough detail because they're so busy doing other jobs, that they 
always end up having that extra work that has to be done, which causes change orders, additional work. And you see it almost all people that you talk to, I would ask you like, how many of your clients that have got into construction projects have had a good experience versus how many have had a bad experience? You know, interestingly enough, I think most of them, those who haven't had a good experience, almost all of them have had problems because they didn't fully appreciate or weren't properly educated um, by the parties involved in the project of what things were going to cost. In their mind, they had a view of this is how my house is going to be. What they were presented with, I call it a silhouette. They, it's like going into a, a car analogy. You go into a car dealership and I show you the silhouette of a car, right. sports car, and you go, oh, that's exactly it. That's exactly how I want it to look. But they're imagining the Technicolor version, the touch it, feel it, experience it, not the basic model silhouette that, that, that you know, the builder is, is telling them about. And then, of course, as they get into it, they realize that what they're really being you know, sold on is a basic frame. What I think happens, and I don't want to say there's nefarious behavior on this, but I think there is a selective amnesia and, and, and an ignorance that some builders allow the clients to have they allow them to stay stupid because once they're tied to them they know okay i know that they now they're going to want to put in all these other finishes and those finishes cost it's like buying a car you get a basic model and it will cost you let's say arbitrary number cost you a hundred thousand dollars there are many car brands the basic model will cost you a hundred thousand on paper but by the time you've got all your extras and you've upgraded the engine and the gearbox and you've updated all the accessories and the body kits and the wheels you you double the price straight out and i see that with happening all the time because concrete windows and doors basic framework acs cost a certain amount of money but your Flemish stone right. installer and the, and the special plasterer and the carpenter. What and level do you truly want to build at? Yeah. One of the other pitfalls, I think, in, in, uh, in this, the process that we bring to the table that I think clients seem to overlook is how important the contractual agreements are with each design partner, whether it's the contractor. What are you, sign what are you truly signing up for? Are you signing up for a guaranteed maximum price? Are you signing up for a cost plus contract? And understanding what that contract looks like and as it unfolds. How much profit. profit is there? Like, how is the management yeah. defined? Each contract. So you asked for the three things. I would say that that's the second thing, right? That's an interesting one. That legal side to it, because there's a, I mean, we, the term padding is the first word that springs into my head. I, we see it a lot. We see people get into, costs. yeah, padding costs. It's like, well, there's this added and that added. And, and, you know, they inflate costs or they'll double charge for labor or there's other, or they'll just happen transparency to Transparency of how things roll yeah. out. Yep. I, I think a lot of it is transparency. And, and as you gentlemen said, catching these elements before you even get out of the ground. Because I think what happens is once the train leaves the station and you've pulled the permits and you're already spending the money, one of two things are going to happen. You're going to run out of money or you're going to run out of time or you're going to run out of both. And when you run out of time, then obviously then costs go up as well. But we see that's one of the big issues. And that's why they say, whatever the budget is, add 50%. Whatever the time is, add 50%. But that's such the norm yeah, construction. And I, and that, I that that like, right. I would not Like the fact like that. that that is the norm in construction. That's the saying. Speaks volumes to like how little guidance people seek right. in expert opinion to help guide them. Like people just accept that that's the norm. And like, it doesn't have to be. 
like we can take the we can help define the scope we can make sure that the contracts that you're going to go to with the general contractor represents that scope so yeah. the padding can happen that they can request a dollar more than the contract without written approval for any additional work that does come up like it's it's it to me blows my mind that that is just the accepted norm that it's at 50 percent. and i think also a very key point to sort of our role and it's sort of trending and i don't want this to to trend in, a, in an adversarial sort of direction but one of our roles as owners reps on projects is to work in conjunction with in cadence with all the design and construction partners so that they, the cl client is getting a fluid experience. So it's, we're not trying to be adversarial with any of the partners. We're actually just trying to interpret. It's always collaborative. You know, and, and try to be collaborative with the team because you know, uh, we often enter projects when the, the train has left the- We've been brought into those situations. And also. so our role, you know, invariably we might get a phone call that says, you know, I'm more than halfway into a job. It's not going well, I wanna fire the team. Um, this is what's wrong. We're over budget. We're over time. All that kind of stuff. And we entered a project in Wacho, Rhode Island, where this was the case. Uh, beautiful project, more than halfway done. Client was kind of, you know, over budget. Uh, the client was frustrated. They had no idea where the budget was going. The gentleman that was building the house was a craftsman. He could build to the highest level, but he had no ability to um, communicate the projection of where the costs were going. So the client was just getting bills, writing checks, having no idea where the train, where the station was that they were gonna end at. And they didn't like that, right? So we got brought in and we basically said, okay, stop everything for a second. We're gonna help define the scope that's left. We're gonna put pricing to that scope and you're gonna bill out against it. And the, the, the builder loved it. Like I basically gave him a way to make sure that he could successfully deliver and make the client happy to the, and he was so happy with the system that we put into place, he actually took the system and it continues to use it. You know, it's an interesting point you raise because as, as for every one person who comes to me and complains about their GC, I have a GC who complains about a customer. Well, it's interesting the door swings both oh, ways. Sorry. Well, I always say that I do my job well when every single person at the table succeeds, the general contractor, the architect, the interior design team, but people forget that the client is also one of the people that sits at that table. Like you have to facilitate to, the entire team's success, that means that you also have to draw information out of the client. They have to give you information in a timely fashion. We're they safe. have to give you approvals in a timely fashion. And they don't a lot of the time. And we're a conduit that works, they don't a lot of the time. And the general contractor gets frustrated, it creates friction between the two parties, they start to blame the owner, that the owner keeps changing stuff. So we end up being that. So we, we're the person that facilitates the entire process that keeps everyone moving in the right direction. You know, it's interesting, when you start to view this differently from coming from the other angle and start to view you not as just another bolt on cost, but actually someone that actually makes everyone's life easier. The one thing that I've, I've noticed many times, and again, maybe this is, and this is the purpose I'm, I'm seeing, the purpose of this podcast is to educate the people who are going out there, the buyers who want to buy and build, because I think that, they lack a lot of the information that they need to have and should have. And unfortunately, you know, we live in a day and age where everyone's an armchair expert. Everyone's watched Fix or Flip. Right, right, right. And they've decided that they go, well, I saw that show and they did it in a week. So why can't you do it? And it's $43,000 and, and, and it's in Topeka, Kansas. Right. And you're like, it's not really how it goes. Like it is, yeah. I, everybody's family watches these shows and it's like, 
we're really trying to, you know, the thing that Tom is bringing up and all this is really managing expectations of the client and the builder and the architect, yeah. everybody along the way and really understanding like, you know what, it's not a TV show. Um, things aren't done in 24 hours. This isn't, you know, home remodel, uh, you know, when everybody comes in in the middle of the night and does the project, it's real and it really takes time. to. This is one of the, the you know, the, the great thing about running a podcast, this is real life. We're really handling this. We're on the boots on the ground and we live in a world where, you know, it's, it's fun to watch and, and whether it's a real estate show about how you sell real estate or how you renovate or how you build a house, the reality is very different to what's perceived 99% on TV. I get frustrated as a broker when people say, to, people say to me, well, all you really have to do is drive up to a house, dress well, have a nice car, open the door, small talk someone. Great broker, open house with lots have of Have a great broker, make sure you spend a ton of money of, of champagne, have a lot of dramatic people running around, and then that place will sell. And, and negotiations happen over coffee tables with people like going back. It doesn't, the world doesn't work like that. And I hope that if you're watching this, if you really want to understand a process and a business, which is really actually right now at the flexion point that Miami is, I believe one of the most profitable cities in the US, if not the most profitable city to come and build a home and make money. I have never in 15 years seen the markups that I'm not talking about builders. I'm talking about end users who have built homes and are now being offered 100% more, creating huge amounts of equity when they do it right and they've invested the money in. And you'll see that we are in a moment where, let's be clear, we've gone through a pandemic and we've realized that for a lot of people, they've woken up and realized that time is their greatest asset. It's much more valuable than the money in their bank accounts. And if they want to live their life that they way they want to live it and get what they want, that you should go ahead and build a house. And I, and I also do believe uh, to your point is that where people are coming into the market and they're from maybe not here and they're yeah. from the Northeast, uh, all the more reason to have, as I mentioned in my opening, is to have construction representation. Right. You can have legal representation, you can have business representation. Why not, especially if you're not here in this market? If you don't have the capacity to be present at the actual project, yeah. to have someone that represent your interests throughout and be a presence on the project is invaluable. 100%. And I'll tell you from someone who's on the ground in Miami, even if you live in Miami, even if you live down the street, my question for you as a potential, you know, uh, home buyer builder is what is it that you do for a living? Because if your living is, let's say you work on Wall Street or let's say you're working in tech or you're in medical, are you going to be able to go to your job site two or three times a day? Are you going to learn about the installation of materials correctly? Are you going to understand supply chains? Are you going to... Yeah. Yeah, because what I always say is whatever you, th if you want to be a project manager on your own job site, whatever your current job is, that is now no longer your current job. That is your second job. That's your hobby job. Your first job becomes building a house. If you're okay with that, if you want to be on job site every day, if you want to learn and get into it, then go right ahead. Roll the dice. It's Russian roulette. But proper representation regardless is key. Um, and obviously we live in a city which... Unfortunately, there it, it needs representation. 
because we have a lot of money being made very, very quickly, and it attracts some great people, and it also attracts sometimes the wrong people who... Can I ask you a question too, David? On this model that we have, yeah. um, knowing that there are uh, lots of investment dollars in the Northeast and, and in Miami alone, do you see this model also being something that may be a developer, someone that's coming in, even though cost is tight and they want to build a project that you know uh, is uh, it, you know streamlined? Do you see a value in representation even on the development side? Actually, I do. What's interesting about it is, is particularly on the legality side of it, because you know we all. I always say I stay in my lane. I'm very good at selling real estate. I know what I know, and I, uh, yeah, and and I and I, I I'm also cognizant about what I don't know. I'm happy to learn. I'm happy to be aware and have great chats like this. But I'm not going to start playing in a field that I'm not an expert in. So what I feel with coming back to the original question, what I see with a lot of developers is is that they want to stay in their lane too, and and it's not a particularly fun arena to be getting into the legalities of it and understanding it and I think that what happens is is that going through and explaining from the start if you're a developer and you're trying to explain to a to to an end user a consumer this is what we're doing on the contract there's always this and I've just closed a deal last week where a buyer was looking at a developer and was saying I wonder where they're trying to screw me it's a, the automatic reaction. Somewhere in here, they're trying to put something in here that is to their favor and not to mine. And I think that's one of the things that then creates challenges and problems. And there's, there's a lack of education on all sides. And again, I don't blame the developers sometimes. You know, they're coming in with good intent or they believe that they're being clear. But they're not educators. Then it's not their, their role. It's not their primary focus. It's like, my job is, I go on, I build a property. So having the giving the education to the buyer is not their primary concern it's like if you're too stupid to understand this then maybe you shouldn't be working with me the problem is who's there to educate them we enter that's the void that we are trying to fill and we will enter jobs where um you know the project or the property is sold um by the developer with the with the house maybe you know a quarter done a half done um or not even completed and it's a specification project that's going from spec to custom and we're brought in with you know with the the menu of sort of how the developer is selling the project and it's our job to to dictate to the client to implement our you're role. buying what he did specify um it is go back to the definition of the scope here's the scope and you are we are walking the job we are seeing the materials that you signed up for is what's being used so i think custom jobs i don't i don't love using the word easier but custom jobs are you know you have an a blank canvas and you're sort of working with the client and the design team on development jobs or specific spec jobs it is uh, it's more difficult. So our role becomes even more intricate and more um, important, I think, for the client. In the end. Who, who would you say is not your client? When people come in and say, hey, I want to do this, who are the people you say, you know what, we're not the right people for you? The people that want to use us to put their boots on the back of the builder and put the screws into them. I go back to the idea that it's a collaborative process. We're not going to represent a client that's trying to get going negatively going negatively to yeah, to screw the builder 
right? Yeah. To have them cut costs, negotiate every little thing. We want it to be um, as a good a process for everyone, like I said earlier, at the table. And that includes the builder, right? I, I have good experience with builders because I've enabled them to do their job well, meaning that they're gonna build their, they're gonna have their cost, they're gonna make their profit, they're gonna be compensated for their time. I'm not gonna represent an owner and take money from an owner to go try to screw over a builder. I'm gonna, I, that's just not my nature. I, want, I wanna work with a client that wants to get a good product, but also sees value in what everybody does and is willing to pay for it. I don't wanna work for a client that is just trying to, to do that. I think that's honorable and I think that that's, that's the right business model because again, you guys are what I would call, you're playing chess, not checkers. You, in tennis, it's a long-term play for you guys. You're in a business now that you're not trying to make a quick buck. Um, I wanted to conclude on an observation that I have within the market for those who are looking to come in to do this that I strongly feel there is plenty of, plenty of margin in the game you want to call it that plenty of money to be made in the process of building and having a finished product because if you want to go out and buy a finished home right now and i've and these are on my reports new houses and i asked you guys before we started rolling i said how many new houses do you think there are in the market right now today and as we sit you know in a, in a you know an annex part of coral gables we are dealing with a, a market with 116 homes on the market, which sounds great. You know, 116 houses available for sale. That's not terrible. But out of those 116, five of them, only five of them are new houses. And when I say new, I mean they're built in the last four years, um, since 2020. So is that 3% or 4% of this crazy? It's, yeah, it's not even that. And, and, and what's interesting is those that are for sale are now running at record high dollar per square foot. So they're running at numbers which are higher than the record prices that we currently have. So they're now, you know, pushing the goalposts to new levels. The point is that rather than this being a, a, a tight business, there is absolutely an appetite for this. There's a demand for this. There's definitely a lack of supply. We know it takes three years to build a house. So we know that that supply chain is not going to change overnight. We have the right buying pool for that product. So... When you come in and invest in the process of building a house, I believe that it's important to obviously start off, and we've talked about this in this podcast and in others, the process of how you go through this, choosing the right GC, choosing the right architect, choosing the right piece of land, using the right broker, but also having the right partners to execute the project done correctly. Because as most buyers and builders uh, or people who are building their own home, you know what you know, and you won't know everything. And it's important to have people who have better optics than you, and you guys have been doing experience. this now. We've done, experience. We've seen it all. We've seen every type yeah. of contract. We've seen, I don't want to say every type of project, but we've seen a lot. Yeah, yeah. We, and it, I think it also um, allows the client to live in a safe space. And a lot of times they enter, everyone is entering these arrangements with such negative thoughts of, what their friend went through or their family. How are they trying to screw me? Yeah. And like you said, immediately saying the, the job's going to cost more than 50% more than yeah. it shouldn't have to be that way. And the process should be enjoyable and something yeah. that people look want to do again. Say, this is yeah. great. Yeah. So that's sort of our value prop to, to them. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think it's a good note to end up on. If you would like to know more about the process of, you know, getting involved into a project, whether it's a renovation project or a new build project, 
Tom and John, thank you for coming in thank and doing this. Thank you for this. having us. Um, yeah. Good conversation. It's, it's so. a good conversation. It's a, it's a conversation that's important to have. I agree. And if you want to know more, you know, information below for, for Blueprint Group, Blueprint Advisors, if you'd like to know more about buying in the market and, and what things cost, what they're selling for, how much land is, give me a call. Once again, thank you for watching. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Better Decisions podcast and stay tuned soon for another episode coming next week. Mm-hmm.